0: As Sam comes forward to read scripture this morning, I'd like to remind you, uh, we've started a series on the parables. And as I mentioned last week in worship, that parables are uh, with anonymous characters and places because we're meant to put ourselves into the story. So this morning, as Sam reads this familiar scripture, I want you to listen carefully and ask God where you are in this story this morning.
1: So I'll be reading from Luke fifteen eleven thirty two. 32 Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this estate.' So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for the distant country, and there squandered his wealth in the wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and asked them what was going on. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God.
0: Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of these, your faithful ones, and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may all that we say and all that we do bring you honor and glory, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hi. Hi. Go back with mama. Go with mama. So last Sunday, we began a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And as I mentioned before, Sam, uh, so beautifully, thank you Sam, read that scripture for us today, reminded us that we're meant to see ourselves in the parable. This is one of Jesus, perhaps his most common teaching technique was to teach in the form of parables. Now last week we began the the beginning of Luke, and I want to set the context because that is crucial for understanding what Jesus has to say to us in this parable. Verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15 set our context. Jesus is teaching and some Pharisees start to grumble. Why do they start to grumble? Here's Jesus, this good observant Jew, and what is he doing? He's welcoming sinners and he's eating with them. An ultimate act of hospitality and graciousness and acceptance. To sit down at a meal at table with somebody else. And Jesus includes even sinners in that circle. Oh and the good religious people are not happy. They start to grumble and so in response to them Jesus offers three parables. The shepherd who goes out to search for the one lost sheep, the woman who scours her house for a coin, and then today perhaps maybe with the good samaritan the most recognizable and well-loved of Jesus parables. This parable is often called what? The parable of the prodigal son. Now, I balk a bit at that moniker because I think it's about so much more than just one son. I like to call this the parable of the man who had two sons. The man who had two sons. I love art, and I think art in all of its forms can help open us up to the nuances of the gospel. And so I have several images here of art that is inspired by this story that I want to show to us, to get us to start thinking about this parable, kind of before I launch into the sermon. So if we can go to the next slide, please. Yes, I want to remind us the three main things that parables seem to address. Relationships between God and human beings, God and His created order. Human relationships, how we are to relate one from another which takes meaning and shape out of our relationship with God, right? That helps us understand how we should relate to those around us. And then parables also address how we should live. Moral and ethical concerns. Next slide, please. This is a painting of the prodigal rendered by an African artist. If you haven't figured it out yet, when I preach, I like to have a conversation. So I invite your feedback. When you look at this piece of art, what does it speak to you? What do you see? What does it tell you about this story? Rejoicing. And it, Love, a family. Gary, you can go to the next slide. Now this is one of my favorites. This is by a, a, a modern artist. And I love something that's happening. There's a real contrast in this painting, isn't there? What do you see on either side? Clouds. Destruction and death, darkness on one side. And you see the sun in the middle. He's gaunt. His body is wasting away. And here he is, and he's turning toward what? Light. Life. And the Father is running. Look, look at the movement. You can see the movement, can't you? The Father is running to greet Him. What's on His shoulder? Mm-hmm. There's the dove. A symbol that we find in the Scriptures to indicate peace. A symbol of the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of a coming home, a restoration in the images in this painting you go to the next one? This is uh, by Hei Ki, who's a modern Chinese artist. It's a, a, an Asian rendering of this uh, of this parable. You see the father and the younger son on the right-hand side, and then you see the elder brother on the other. There's separation, isn't there? He's not joining the embrace, is he? And in fact, I think if you look closely at his eyes, perhaps you see... a. Look of skepticism or, or disgust. Wonder at the father welcoming back this younger son. Next slide, please. This is the last one I'm going to leave up, and I'll leave this up for the sermon. This is Rembrandt's rendering of the prodigal son. Henry Nowen, who is somebody, if you spend any time with me, you're going to hear me talk about him a lot. Henry Nowen was a Catholic priest and a psychiatrist who taught at Yale Divinity School. He was in Russia in the early 1980s at an art gallery where they had this painting on display. And he sat in front of it for days and cried. And after spending days in front of this painting, he came back to the States, gave up his tenured position at Yale, and left for Canada, and lived in a home for adults with disabilities for the rest of his life. Something about spending time in front of this painting and no doubt the story to which the painting points changed his life completely. He looked at this painting and he was never the same after it. What do you see in this painting? Humility, Lydia. Humility. Compassion. The father's arms of embrace at the younger son who... You can almost feel in the painting that he's collapsed in front of his father. His clothes are tattered and worn. His head is shaved. He's dirty. And who's standing off to the right? The older brother. Clothed beautifully, wearing the robes of the father, but his arms across his chest like this. What does this indicate? Judgment, being closed off from relationship, hostility, anger, pain. Yes. Charles Dickens called this parable the greatest story ever told. And indeed, it is the gospel in a nutshell. And as I said last week with the parable of the sheep and the parable of the lost coin, There's something in these stories that is meant to shock, disrupt, and disturb the original audience, and then all the way down the ages. These stories are meant to shake us. And this story certainly does. There's a man who had two sons, and the younger son comes to him and says, Father, give me a share of the inheritance. Now, in the ancient world, that would have been akin to exactly what Hector said at children's time. For the younger son to come to his father and to demand this says, you're as good as dead to me. I don't want you. I want your stuff. That's what he's saying to the father. You're as good as dead to me. Now if you know anything about the ancient world and sort of the the patriarchal structures of the time and the roles in which each person in the family was expected to fill and to comply for the father to receive this, not even a request, this demand from his son that would have utterly shamed the father, it would have been the, uh, the expected response from the patriarch to kick the son out. How dare you say, ask this of me? Perhaps even the, the father would physically strike him, push him out. He would have been cast out from the family. That is what the audience is expecting for the father's response. But what does the father say? Okay. He allows him to have it. You know what that would have meant? There are two brothers in the family. That meant that when the father died, the elder brother would receive two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger would receive one-third. The oldest always received a double portion of whatever would have gone to the children. So if there's two brothers, for someone like me who doesn't do math well, that's pretty easy. Two-thirds to the older brother, one-third to the younger brother. So in order to give one-third to the younger brother, it is very likely that the father would have had to sell off land. And land in the ancient world was everything. Your identity, your standing in the community, your status among your peers, all of that was tied up in your wealth and in your land and what you owned. That is how status was established. But the father gives no indication of grumbling. He honors the younger son's decision. Gives him one third of the inheritance. And we know the the story. He goes off, squanders it in wild living, the Bible says. And we can fill in the blanks as to exactly what that meant. But what that would have meant was regardless of what he was doing, he was constantly bringing shame and dishonor upon his father and indeed upon his whole house. Well, he reaches a point of rock bottom. And he rehearses a speech in his head, doesn't he? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Take me back just as a hired hand. Thinking in his mind, at least then I'll have something to eat. I'll have have a, a place to stay that's warm and dry. See, in the younger son's mind, there's no possibility of reconciliation and restoration. He knows he's blown it. He knows that uh, everything that he's come to expect, that he'll come back, maybe the father won't even let him come back. But if he does, he can't come back as a son. He'd come back just as a hired hand, if even that. So he heads back, and there's something in the text, to me, that indicates that the father has been waiting and watching and longing for this day. The narrator of Luke says that while he, the younger son, was still a long ways off, the father ran to him. In this moment, we see God not just as father, but also as mother. Because fathers in the ancient world did not run. That is something that women and children did. People would come to the Father. The Father would be be seating in in a place of authority in the household and people would come to Him. He didn't run out to others. That would have been scandalous. Because especially when you ran in the ancient world, you got all these flowing robes, you'd pick them up to run so that you didn't trip over them. you show your legs. All sorts of things, shameful things that a man didn't do. What does the Father do? He runs. Runs to the son, welcomes him back. And did did you notice in the scripture that Sam read that the younger brother doesn't even get out the entirety of his rehearsed speech? The father cuts him off. He can't even get it all out. And the father says, come on, now it's time for a celebration. Bring out the robe, bring out the ring. Let's put sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fattened calf. We're gonna have a party. Because my son, was lost, and is now found. Now friends, if the parable ended there, wouldn't that be a beautiful story? It's tied off in a nice neat bow, right? The younger son went away, the father welcomes him back, we can infer in this parable all these wonderful things about our relationship with God, and it just, everybody's happy in the end. No. Remember, this is the parable of what? The man who had... Two sons. Younger brother is act one. Now we move to act two. The older brother is out in the field working. He's dutiful. He's diligent. He's playing his part in the family. He's the one who stayed around and helped. He's the good one. And he hears the commotion. He hears the party. He wonders what's going on. He finds out that his younger brother is back And instead of rejoicing, instead of uh, of being grateful for the possibility of restoration and reconciliation within the family, he's angry. He's mad. And do you hear the language that he uses when the father comes out, which again would have been a shameful act. The father goes out because the younger son won't come into the party. And when you kill the fattened calf friends, That was very likely the father's most valuable possession was the fattened calf. They didn't have a lot of meat in the ancient world at meals. You saved the fattened calf for the most important celebration. And very likely you would have invited the whole village. This was a party. This was a party. And so instead of... The older brother coming in, the father goes out to him and gets him and says, come on in. And listen to the language that the older brother uses. He doesn't address the father, does he? Another sign of disrespect. Basically, he says, look, I, I've served you, I've been good, I've stuck around, and this son of yours, Doesn't even acknowledge the relationship, does he? He doesn't say, my brother. He says, this son of yours. See, the older brother is still caught up in this broken relationship. He's cutting himself off from the possibility of reconciliation and restoration. We see it in his words. This son of yours. The sarcasm is almost dripping off his words. This son of yours. He's gone off. He's squandered the money. He's bought women. He's done all these things. And yet, you kill the fattened calf for him. And you don't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Images and illusions that may be lost on us. But these animals, this fattened calf. This is everything. The father has rolled out everything for the younger son's homecoming. And the father, in this gentle language, again, well within his rights to chastise and to chasten the older brother for his disrespect, for not coming into the party, speaks to him so tenderly, doesn't he? He says, my son, my son, all that I have is yours. But And he turns the relationship around. Your brother, who was lost, is found. We had to celebrate. Friends, this parable upends everything that we think we know about God. How many of you grew up with an understanding of God as um, this, this angry, mean guy in the sky who's just waiting for you to step out of line? Trust me, friends, that is the image that many people, even to this day, have of God. Someone who's punitive. Someone who cares that you follow the list, that you do good, that you do right, that you stay in line, and don't you dare venture outside of that. That sort of an understanding of God is also how they would have understood God in the ancient world. Do you know, really, before Jesus comes along and calls God Father, nobody in the ancient world would have understood God in that sort of a familial relationship. And yet, in this parable, Jesus undoes everything that people thought they knew about fathers. Instead of someone who insists on his standing in the community, instead of, uh, uh, of being punitive, kicking the son out, chastising the older brother when he gets shamed, he's tender, compassionate. He runs to greet his younger son. He gives him all of the good things, restores him immediately. To a place in the family. Gives him the ring, the sandals, the robe. Welcomes him back. And the older brother standing outside. Caught up in his own goodness. See friends, I think that this parable teaches us something so important. That I don't want us to lose. Beatrice agrees. That this is so important. Here's what it is. Friends, I think basically there's two types of people. And maybe as I've asked you to put yourself in this story, you can recognize yourself. There's two types of people. There's the younger brother. How many of you, either today, right now, maybe, or in the past, can identify with that younger brother? He's the one who's gone off. He's the one who's embarked on on self-discovery, right? He's gone out to find himself. He's going to do his thing. He's going to make his way regardless of how the family feels. So there's that. There's the younger brother, the one who goes out to find himself, and then there's the older brother. He's the good one. He's followed all the rules. He's never stepped out of bounds. He's been faithful and good. And yet, get this, friends. Here's what this parable tells us with these two kinds of people. Both of the brothers, the younger brother and the older brother, they both want the father's stuff, but they don't want the father. They want the father's stuff, but they don't want the father. And there's just two different ways of getting there. There's the younger brother who demands what is rightfully his, goes off to find himself, realizes that that's a dead end road and comes back. But he's been bad. He's done all kinds of bad things. He didn't want the father. He wanted the father's stuff. And the older brother, it's the same impulse. But he does it by being good. good. He does it by being good. He stayed home. And yet, listen, his concern when the younger brother comes back is not about relationship. It's not about forgiveness and restoration. It's, you gave that guy the fatted calf. He gets a robe. He gets a ring on his finger and sandals on his shoes. Things that would have rightfully been the elder brother's. Remember, everything that was due the younger brother has already been given him. Everything that the father has left, including those symbols and images and items of wealth and the fattened calf, all of that would have gone to the elder brother. And he is concerned about what? The stuff, not the father. Friends, I think that in these, in these two people, in the younger brother and in the older brother, friends, we can extrapolate that out into today's world, can't we? It's Republicans and Democrats. Democrats liberals and conservatives, rich and poor, how often we tend to bifurcate ourselves, to put ourselves in different camps, identify ourselves over and against other people, and we say, we're right, they're wrong. And yet Jesus says, to start to do that is to miss the point entirely. It's to miss it entirely. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you have. It's not about what you can get. It's all about God. Getting God For himself. That's it. And everything else comes from that. It's not about getting good stuff. It's not about being bad or being good to a particular end. Jesus says that gospel people. See, we have religious people in this story, don't we? We've got the Pharisees. Good religious people. Religious people want God for what they can get. Gospel people want God so that they can get God. Friends, that's the difference. That's the difference. As we close, I want to focus for just a moment on the elder brother. The elder brother. You know, in the ancient world, a good elder brother would have done this. When the younger brother came, demanded everything that was due him, runs off, you know what a good elder brother would have done? a good elder brother would have gone to the father and said, let me go out and find him. Let me go find him. I'll see what he's doing and I'll invite him back to the house. Friends, we have an elder brother, don't we? When we were separated from God, when we were alienated, the son said, let me go. Let me rescue Let me save, let me restore. I will go and I will bring back what was lost. We have Jesus in this parable. Jesus, the true, the good elder brother. Searching for all of us. Whether we find ourselves more like the younger brother who go off and do our own thing, or the older brother, the good one who stayed home. Both are lost. The younger brother's lost in his badness and the older brother's lost in his goodness, but they're both lost because they want the father's things, but they don't want the father. And the gospel, friends, the gospel, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, remember this, that the gospel is all about giving God. That's it. Gospel people want God. We want that relationship of love. We want to get to know him. We want to spend time in his presence, not for things that we can get, but just because God is God. I only saw my grandfather cry once in my life. You'll hear me talk about my grandfather a lot. There's probably nobody who's had a more influence in my life than than my grandfather. Passed away 14 years ago. He was a Baptist preacher at the same church for 51 years. 51 years. And I was heading off to a little Bible college in Canada after I graduated from high school. And they lived down the hill from us. I remember running down the hill, going through the back door like I had done for so many years. And there he was with his back to me and his hands on the kitchen table like this. And when, he, when I came in, I saw him glance over his shoulder and I saw this. I knew he'd been crying. So I turned around and he, he <clears throat> cleared his throat, stood up, you know, my grandfather was one of the most loving, humble men I've met in my life, but he wasn't that demonstrative. If you know me, I like to hug. He wasn't a hugger. I remember he shook my hand, and with the tears still glistening in his eye, this is what he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, I hate goodbye. I won't say goodbye. He said, see you later. See you later. Friends, I've carried that with me through so many storms in my life. And I remember, to me, that is the gospel in a nutshell. Whether we're the younger brother or the older brother, we're lost. And God honors our choices. But you know what God says? It's not goodbye. See you later. Friends, because what? See you later opens what? The possibility of return inherent in see you later is an expectation that you will see them again. And friends, that is what God gives to us. We can wander off. We can do our own thing. We can squander all that we've been given or we can hoard it for ourselves, trusting in our own goodness and claiming ourselves as Lord and Savior. We can want the Father's stuff without wanting the Father. We can hurt His heart. And you know what He says? See you later. See you later. And he sent the son to bring us back. Friends, I want to do something this morning that may be new to you. Um, but, But this gospel reading for us today opens itself to the possibility, friends, of us recommitting ourselves to Jesus Christ or maybe finding him again for the very, very first time. If you want to come forward like Beatrice and just run forward out of excitement and happiness for all that God has given you, I'm going to invite you to do that. But friends, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Um, whoever would like to come, I'm going to invite Tom and Hector to come up um, because they're going to be here with me if you want someone to pray with you. If you want to just come up and you want to kneel at the rail and you want to pray by yourself, if you want to pray where you're seating, that's fine too. Um... Friends, no matter where you are today, this is the good news of the gospel. That the door for reconciliation, for coming back to the Father's house, is always open. It's always open. And yet God honors our choices. God wants people who out of their own motivation say, You know what? I want to return. I need to go. I want the Father, not just for His stuff. I want Him so friends, Barbara's is going to play some familiar hymns. You can sing along with them if you'd like. And if you'd like to come forward, we're just going to open it up for a few minutes to come forward. If you want to pray with one of us, if you want to kneel for prayer by yourself, if you want to commit yourself to Christ, find Him for the first time, if you want to come forward on behalf of somebody else, maybe, maybe friends, maybe you've got a, a younger brother or an older brother in your life and your heart is heavy for them. God wants to meet you here today. God wants to answer your prayer. So I'm going to invite Tom, if you would uh, come up as well. Tom will be available for prayer if you'd like someone to pray with you. We're just going to open it up. You can stay there, you can sing, you can pray there, or you can come forward. You can stay here 52 years. have relied on it and the things that we get from it instead of you god we know that you call us to be in a relationship with you just to meet you in a real way and so god this morning we just pour out of our hearts all that we carry with us for ourselves for others God, we give you thanks that you love us and that you accept us. That you are willing to run to us, to meet us where we are. But thank God, even as we are met where we are, you never leave us where you found us. You are constantly calling us onward, meeting us, bringing us back into the home, covering us with goodness and blessing. Out of nothing that we can do to deserve it, but just because it is your nature, to love and to show mercy and grace. Just as we are, oh God, we come to you. We pour ourselves out to you. Meet us today, oh God. Friends, aren't you grateful that God always welcomes us home? He is our Lord and Savior. There's nothing that we can do. We can't rely on our goodness. We can't look to anything that we have
1: done. It is all grace. It is all grace.